But when lockdowns happened, I just thought I can't remain silent anymore. Like this is an absolute travesty. They're taking away our freedoms. Everything I've been learning about the last 20 years is coming into fruition, you know, with free speech, censorship, um, cashless societies, social credit. I was like, I cannot remain silent anymore. Today on British Thought Leaders, I sit down with Leilani Dowdy, social commentator and media personality. Leilani talks to us about the World Economic Forum the role big tech and mainstream media are playing in contemporary society and how the lockdowns made her want to speak out. I'm Lee Hall and this is British Thought Leaders. Uh, Leilani Dowding, thanks for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you for having me on here. You're welcome. So you were previously a successful model and now you're a social commentator um, you're active on issues such as contemporary culture, free speech. Um, before we dive into some specifics, could you talk to us about your journey from the, the modelling lifestyle to your more kind of media activist lifestyle you have now? Was there like, a, a big event in, in your life or in the world that made you want to use your celebrity influence in that way? Do you know what? It's just weird how it all happened. Um, I hadn't really thought about it um, and using, you know, where I'd got. I'd always been very outspoken and opinionated about things I felt um, strongly about. Um, so I think it was a, it was a big life-changing moment around 9-11 for me, actually. Um, it just never made sense. And I started researching into it. And I suppose some people would say going down the conspiracy rabbit hole. Um, but... I just started discovering a lot of things from food, um, what's put into our food, into our water, big pharma. And this is like, you know, over 20 years ago. So I think it, it's, it's been a long time coming. Um, and at the start, I was very silent about things because I didn't want to, um, I felt a little bit embarrassed. I didn't know that there was anyone else kind of like me speaking about anything. So I kept it all to myself. Um, but when lockdowns happened, I just thought, I can't remain silent anymore. Like, this is an absolute travesty. They're taking away our freedoms. Everything I've been learning about the last 20 years is coming into fruition, you know, with free speech, censorship, um, cashless societies, social credit. And I was like, I cannot remain silent anymore. And I was in a position um, where I... It didn't matter if I lost my job or work because there was nothing meaningful in what I was doing. Um, and financially, you know, it was stable enough to be able to speak out. Um, so moving on to specific topics. Yeah. Before we, we jump in at the deep end, really, and talk about the World Economic Forum. Right. So for people at home who've maybe not heard about this or not heard much, could you give us some background on what is the World Economic Forum and their plans for the Great Reset? Well, they've been talking about the Great Reset and Agenda 30 for a long time, very publicly. And it's a body of people that are made up of none very rich, non-elected technocrats um, and globalists um, and billionaires like, you know, Bill Gates and um, Klaus Schwab, who's, you know, heading a lot of it. And then so they get together and people pay a lot of money to go to the meetings. But they're all, you know, they're all leaders and, and, and very high up wealthy people, um, leaders of business. And, and then they brought kind of this... Um, kind of like this school, like this training thing through the young, I think it was the Young Leaders um, Initiative that they, they built up. So now you have leaders like Justin Trudeau, Jacinda Ardern, Macron, who all kind of went through the training. And as they say, um, it was 
to put them into positions of power. Um, so now we have these people that are all kind of on the same agenda globally, um, that have come from a bunch of people in the World Economic Forum that never were elected um, to make you know, huge decisions. And so their um, reset plans, uh, more specifically, um, what, what does that involve? Well, the, the, one of the things they put out is that you will own nothing and be happy. And you can see that being put out with the way this country and other countries in the world are going. You can see it happening. The lockdowns were the first, really. There was a, there was a huge uh, transfer of wealth from you know, small businesses to enormous uh, you know, corporations. So we saw it first then. Um, and you can see it now how banks have, are now able to um, repossess homes and then rent them out. So you, know, you see the mortgage rates going up, the interest rates going up. Um, there'll be a lot of repossessions, they can take people's homes, and instead of having to sell them, they can keep hold of them and rent them out. So again, people are gonna own nothing, um, and these big, giant globalists will own most of it, and the, the you know, little peasants below are gonna have to rent from them. It sounds almost hard to believe, this idea people will own nothing and they'll be happy about it. It feels like a, a push towards communism, really. I think so, I mean, it's a lot of programming as well. There's a lot of program go, pro programming going on. If you look, look at books like the Audless Huxley made, The Brave, uh, Brave New World, right? There's conditioning and there's programming. So the more they keep repeating it over and over, you'll own nothing, you'll be happy, you don't need to own anything, you can rent it, um, renting is freedom, all of this stuff. It's kind of the opposite. It's an inversion of everything. Like, you know, if you own your own home or you own your own car and you're not kind of indebted to people all the time, then you're gonna be a lot freer. When you have to rent from somebody constantly, you know, rent it, wherever it is, whether it's renting a car, renting a house, renting clothes, you know, they're talking about, they were talking about this, they're talking about renting everything, renting your kitchen utensils and your furniture and everything you can think of, owning nothing. So if you own nothing, you have to borrow it from somewhere because you, you can't live with nothing. So you have to, you're then um, indebted to these people and it's possible and you're under their control, you know, because you, you do the wrong thing. We've seen it and it's playing out now. You do the wrong thing and they can take it away. So like the truckers in Canada, like um, a lot of the people that have been going against the narrative um, are having their PayPal's removed. So their payment systems for, um, subscribers or um, you know people paying direct debits for like they're in for, to these groups whether it's law firms um, whether it's child uh, charities um, or organizations you're seeing that if you start going against the narrative they can cut you off and and this is the problem as well when you're not in control of where you live what you own um, and, and such like if I was going to try and take over the world, I would probably do it in quite a secretive way. I was thinking that it feels this is very um, brazen, for want of a better word. There's reports and there's websites about how it's going to be done. Yeah. Why do you feel it's being done in that kind of very public way? Because I think it's been going on for a long time. This isn't, it hasn't just started, you know, in the last couple of years. This is a plan that goes back, you know, decades. There's a lot of books that have been written about it. 
uh, factual books, and even if you look at like old dystopian sci-fi books, you see it all playing out. So this isn't something that's just happened overnight. So there's these plans in place, and at some point they cannot do it secretly. Now they have to get people used to the idea of it. They have to uh, do it more openly. They have to kind of condition people, and you can see it's working. There are people. Um, that are, you know, they celebrate when, you know, free speech is taken away. You know, they're like, oh, it's misinformation. Well, uh, you know, we, we, we should be doing what the government says. At some point along everyone's lives, people are not going to be in full agreement with the government. So whether you're left, whether you're right, whether you're in the middle, there'll be something with the government that you don't agree with. And if this social credit system happens where, you know, you're privileges get removed because you you're in disagreement. Like the Chinese social credit yeah, system. Yeah, like the Chinese yeah. social credit system, for example. It, you know, we see it in China, right? So it's not um, completely alien. It's not like it doesn't happen. Um, but we're seeing it more and more. You know, we see it with social media, right? We see people, if you don't agree with a narrative, your social media accounts get down. If you don't agree with a narrative, um, like the truckers, your bank accounts get frozen. If you don't agree with the narrative, like gay is against groomers, like law or fiction, like them and us, um, like the free speech union, your PayPal um, processing system gets taken down. So we can see it playing out, but there's a lot of people that just think, oh, well, you know, I'll never disagree with the government, so I'm fine. But, you know, at some point, someone will, and who knows? If the government churn out like the Chinese government, who knows how many people will disagree, and by then it will be too late. Another example we saw was with Facebook. There was a group with several hundred thousand members talking yeah. about vaccine injuries, and they just took that group away so they couldn't discuss this anymore. What do you think the, the end goal is? What would they see as mission complete, these big tech organisations? I think it's, you know, they want everyone exactly following the narrative and the sad thing about that that as you said the bbc actually boasted about reporting the group to facebook right it's the bbc they should be neutral and just report on what's happening but they actually they actually grass in this group who have tried to avoid using the word vaccine um, in order to share what's happened to them now if people are vaccine injured where else can they go for help? Because it doesn't seem like the mainstream want to touch it. So they went and they formed this group on Facebook. And I know for a fact there's people on there whose loved ones have got the vaccine on their death certificates. And these people are now being gaslit and told that they, um, you know, I know people that have had, I know a lady actually, a specific one whose uh, fiance died of the vaccine, it's on his death certificate, and she's been removed from Twitter. Um, then you see the groups of people that have been injured that aren't allowed to talk about their injuries on Twitter because, you know, they're calling it misinformation, but it's not. This is actually happening. Have you experienced any kind of cancellation or censorship personally? Yes, I had my Instagram shut down. It had six, I had 67,000 followers. Um, I built them up during lockdown. I was very outspoken about, against lockdowns and there were a lot of people that came to my page feeling alone because within their family and friend groups, they were the only people that thought lockdowns were insane. And they would come and write story, um, comments underneath some of the posts I made and they would become friends with each other and they get to know each other and they talk anyway. Instagram shut my entire account 
down. Um, I tried to make a second backup one that got taken down as well. And you know, the crazy thing is about it is, you know, I said about masks, I said about lockdowns. I never told anyone not to get the vaccine. I just shared, you know, this is, I just shared facts around it and said, you know, make your own decisions. But I was against mandates, absolutely against mandates. Yeah, they shut it down. Um, and I'd, I'd spoken to somebody in Facebook who'd helped get a few people's accounts back for other reasons. And they said, no, you're complete. I can't help you. You're completely and utterly locked out. You won't ever, you won't be able to have account, an account again. And the crazy thing is that, you know, a lot of what I'd said has, has come out to be true. Like, look at Richie Sunak. He just came out and said, oh, I was against lockdowns. Okay, well, so was I. But I had my account taken down and removed because of it. Um, you know, the information's come out that masks are ineffective. Well, I had my account taken down. No one's given me my account back as the, you know, as the science changed. So during the lockdown time, was there something specific that, that made you want to be so outspoken about issues? Yeah, so I guess maybe for the first week or so, I bought into the people in China falling down in the street and the uncertainty. Um, and then I watched what was going on in the news during the lockdowns, and um, it was contradictory to my own experience. My friend's grandma, who had cancer and dementia, and was about in her 90s, she tested positive for COVID, said she had COVID. Um, and because she wasn't in a care home, she had private nurses. Her family were all able to see her and they continued to see her and she got better. So this is a lady with cancer, old age and dementia and she was better. So it made me think, you know, um, you've got all these stats coming up. How many people have died in your little ticker of, of all the deaths, right? Now, if you knew somebody that had cancer and was diagnosed with cancer, would you call them up and say, I just know somebody who's, died, who, who's just died of cancer. Oh, this person died of cancer, this person. Let's have, you know, let me tell you about all the people dying with cancer today. You wouldn't do it. You'd do the opposite. You'd offer love, support, tell them they're going to be better, tell them they're going to beat it, put it into their mind that they can beat this thing. That was the opposite with COVID. It was a psychological operation to put people into this fear state. I think it stressed people more. Um, and then we saw people going on to ventilators and there were doctors early on saying, I don't think ventilation is the correct idea for somebody, for somebody who's got a chest infection, whether it's COVID or pneumonia or whatever it is, it was the wrong route to go down. And these doctors were silenced, fired. You never saw them again. It didn't make sense in my mind and my reality was say, showing me that there were a lot of people that were getting better um, and there were a lot of people, you know, I was going out to the protests and people were like, you're going to be a super spreader, you're going to bring it back. I never got sick. My immune system never went on hold because I was always around people. Um, so I think that's what made me really vocal. Um, and that's what made me think that lockdowns were the wrong thing to do. Some of the things you mentioned there is the work of the nudge unit, isn't it? Yeah. And then when you look back, you know, there was, once the, the, the panel of SAGE was majority clinical psychologists. So these are people that are trying to figure out, you know, how to guilt you into something, how to shame you into something, what's going to make you um, 
behave the way they want you to behave. And you, you mentioned China. It feels a lot of these tactics are kind of Chinese Communist Party ways of dealing with things. That's lock everyone in their house, take away their freedoms. Yeah. Why did we so happily import all of those types of things? This is what baffles me. We were so happy to give our freedoms away um, because people thought it would make them safe. And I think there was just, you know, the government paid all this money to um, the media companies. You had com Bill Gates paying millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions to media companies to all push a certain narrative. And if you didn't follow that narrative, you know, you were cut down or you, were, you had people piling on against you um, to say that you were doing the wrong thing. And people, people were buying into the fear and the drama of it all, like, you know, some reality show or some soap opera. You know, it wasn't, people weren't taking a step back and saying, what's going on here? Why are we handling this in a different way than every other disease? Um, they threw out all the planning that they'd ever done before, which was to isolate sick people. And they put healthy people, they isolated and forced healthy people um, into quarantine. And that to me, that alone, like just had so many red flags. There was never a push for health. They were letting McDonald's be open while they were closing gyms and sports facilities and parks and not letting people get exercise, not letting people get fresh air. Um, and that to me is the opposite of anything healthy. Um, so obviously as a model, you um, celebrated your feminine qualities <laughs> and it was kind of part of your uh, work there. So but in recent times, it seems feminine qualities and the concept of being a woman is, is basically under attack and yeah. it's seen as weak to be feminine and you should right. be competing with the males. Whereas with the males, it's said you should be more feminine and, and masculinity is toxic. Yeah, so this is, this is a crazy one to me. I don't think there's anything... I think it comes down to this transgender... Um, agenda that they have going on and erasing men and erasing women. Um, I don't think there's anything toxic about masculinity at all. By definition, masculinity is more of a protector and a carer. And if it's, if it's toxic, it's not masculinity. It's quite the opposite of masculinity. Um, and then there's an attack on the feminine. And I think what they're saying, you know, I, I always think like if, you know, if, if they were to remake Billy Elliot, you know, the story about the young boy who wanted to be a dancer, they would say, no, Billy, sorry, you're actually in the wrong body. You should be a female. You know, they're saying to little tomboy girls that just, you know, I was a bit of a tomboy when I was younger. And I honestly think they would have said to me, Lilani, you're in the wrong body. You know, it's, it's very weird that you want to climb trees and get muddy and play with action man and transformers. I just found them so much more fun than Barbie dolls, right? I just thought girly thing, I hated netball, I got my school to set up a rugby team. And so I was a bit of a tomboy. And they really would have told me I was in the wrong body, I'm sure of it. And then they would have put me on hormone blockers and all the, and all the rest instead of letting me find my own femininity. On a similar issue, I've noticed it's quite a celebration of very overweight female figures as well. Um, it's never done with males. It's no, uh, if a man is considerably obese, he's not brave. But for females now, they're saying, oh, you're so brave, you're yeah. massively obese. And 
It's and they're calling it body positivity. How yeah. is it body positivity when you're damaging your body? You know this. I remember when the very stick thin heroin sheet thing was in place, and there was so much outrage about it, and rightly so. You know, it was very damaging and not good for girls to be anorexic. But as soon as it comes to obesity and being fat, it's like this newly celebrated thing. And it's like, shouldn't we all be trying, especially in the era of COVID, shouldn't we be trying to be as healthy as we possibly can be? Because shouldn't we be celebrating health and fitness and taking care of your body and treating your body right? Instead of, um, you know, damaging it with overeating and too much sugar, too much fat, and then, or lack of exercise even, and celebrating that, it's, you know, there's this real inversion of what's right going on in the world right now. Watching TV, movies, even adverts, um, we get the feeling that all these kind of issues, particularly the gender ones, they're there in, in those things and, and they're, they're reflecting changes in society. Is that really the case? I think they're pushing an agenda because if you look at the reality of how many people say are transgender, it's such... A small proportion, but you know, now it's the correct PC thing to do to have a transgender or a drag queen or something with in your movies and in your TV shows or you know, as the lead on a Broadway show or whatever it might be. So I don't think they're following and reflecting society. I think there is a push, and I think it's a virtue signal as well to say, oh, look, look, we're. Uh, we're woke and we're, we're awake and we're accepting of everybody, but it's, um, it, is, it is a push and I think it confuses young people. You mentioned food before. Um, there's been a, a push in recent times towards eating organically. Yeah. Um, what do you think um, should happen in this area? Is it, should we be eating, eating organic all the time? Should we be against pesticides? So I think it's a hard one. I try and eat organic as much as I can. Um, obviously, there's a price uh, issue in there. You know, it's a lot more expensive and then a lot of people can't afford to eat organic as I can. Um, but this is one of the issues I was talking about, you know, like I saw it with food a long time ago. The pesticides, the herbicides, GMOs, it's all relatively new and people don't exactly know the effects it's having on the body or they don't want to see it. It's sprayed on the crops and people think, oh, it just washes away but it goes into the soil and then it gets absorbed into the crops through their roots and then it's in our food. So these are cancerous, are highly toxic chemicals that we're spraying all over. When you see people spraying the fields, they're not breathing it in, they're like, you know, they're in, they're in lab gear, they're fully protected, gloves, masks, um, full suits like hazmat suits kind of things, because these are such toxic chemicals and they're being put into our food. So it doesn't surprise me as well that, that there's a lot of allergies coming, food allergies. And we have to really explore whether the food, food allergies come from the crop itself or what's being sprayed onto the crops and put into the soil. So I think, you know, the whole food topic is just such a, it's such a huge one and it's a really important one that people really need to look into, research um, and see what's really going into their bodies. And Andy Dowling, thanks for joining us on Precious Thank Talk. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.